It was a Saturday morning when I got a call from a very desperate-sounding husband who said he needed to meet with me and his wife immediately. Pastor, my marriage is falling apart. My wife won't listen. She won't get along with me. All she wants to do is criticize. She's tearing apart our family. Will you meet with us? A short while later, I found myself sitting with both of them in my office, trying to figure out just what was going on. For several minutes, the husband went off in an angry tirade on his wife. She didn't trust him. She was too critical of him. She picked fights. She kept score. And she wasn't forgiving. The accusations and rap sheet against this poor woman kept growing longer and longer. I could see her withering away on her end of the couch, crushed under the weight of his unkind, cruel, condemning, and accusatory words. Finally, after several minutes of this, I'd had enough. I stopped him and asked if there was anything he was doing that was hurting her and harming their marriage. She was scared to even speak. But slowly, she began to share her pain as her eyes filled up with tears. He had a drinking problem that caused his communication with her to be volatile, aggressive, and unpredictable. He'd not managed their finances well in the past, and now she struggled to trust him with money decisions. He was controlling and suspicious of her every relationship and frequently went through her phone, yet refused to let her see his text or internet activity. But before she could even finish sharing, the husband cut her off. This guy had an excuse for everything. He didn't really have a drinking problem, just a few beers every night after work because his job was stressful and his marriage was even more stressful. The poor financial decisions in the past weren't really his fault and the only reason he was controlling and suspicious of her was because she'd given him a reason to be in the past. Nothing was his fault. She was the problem, not him. He was the victim. His wife his ex-wife, his job, his boss, and the world at large were the ones to blame for any of his behaviors. Not him. Anything he was doing, or not doing that he should have done, was excusable and explainable because of factors beyond his control. He couldn't be held responsible for anything. He was a passive martyr in a failing marriage, struggling career, and disintegrating family unit. But it wasn't his fault. Everybody else was to blame. I wish I could tell you I've only met this guy once in pastoral counseling, but sadly, I've met him a couple of dozen times. Some of us as men truly struggle in accepting responsibility and owning our behavior. It's like we're hardwired to want to avoid it and make excuses. Why is that though? Welcome to the Committed Masculinity Podcast, a limited series that explores the issues and challenges facing Christian men who are serious about Jesus' invitation to be a disciple. On each episode of our series, we will review the content of each chapter of the book, Committed, Biblical Masculinity, and then discuss the issues on each episode with special guests. On today's episode, chapter two, accept responsibility, victimhood, excuses, 
freedom of ownership. Special guest, Jeremy Smith. How did we get here? In the beginning of all things, before sin and brokenness entered the world, all was as it should be. God created the heavens and earth, animals, man, and woman, and placed them in a beautiful garden. The man and the woman were naked and unashamed. There was no insecurity, embarrassment, or corruption, only beauty and perfection. And in the midst of this perfection and bliss, God gave the man something so crucial to his well-being and flourishing. He gave the man a job. So God created man in his own image. He created him in the image of God. He created them, male and female. God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. Rule the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, and every creature that crawls on the earth. The Lord God formed out of the ground every wild animal and every bird of the sky and brought each to the man to see what he would call it. And whatever the man called the living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all the livestock, to the birds of the sky, and to every wild animal. Genesis 1, 27-28, 2, 19-20. Right in the middle of this paradise and perfection, God gave the man some very important responsibilities. He's given the responsibility of naming the animals. I wonder how long that one took him. And together with his wife, he's given the responsibility of governing and reigning over the earth. He and his wife are told to be fruitful to multiply and fill the earth, and not to eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Genesis 2, 17. The beauty, perfection, pleasure, blessings, and flourishing of the first man and his family were entirely dependent on his level of obedience to God and responsibilities God had given them. If they made the choice to obey God, they could live forever in perfect unity with one another and fellowship with God. If they made the choice to disobey God, rebel against his authority, reject the responsibilities he'd given them, and do things their own way, they would die and be cast out of Eden. I wish I could say the man listened to God and his commands, accepted his God-given responsibilities, and lived forever in perfect unity and perfection with God and his family in the garden. I wish I could tell you that, but that's not how the story goes. In Genesis 3, the deceiver shows up in the form of a serpent. And even though God had given the command to not eat from the tree to man, Satan came for the man's wife. Instead of following God's design and direction for being the loving, responsible leader of his family, the man stood by passively and let Satan destroy his family through lies. The first sin that the man committed is the same sin that many men commit today, the sin of passivity, cowardice, and an unwillingness to take responsibility for their God-given role of caring for their family's well-being by leading them spiritually. Even as God shows up later in Genesis 3 and asks Adam what happened, he refuses to take responsibility for his failure. First, he blames the woman for listening to the serpent and leading him to disobedience. And then, he blames God for creating the woman. It was the woman you gave me. See Genesis 3.12. So how do we get to the place where accepting responsibility is so difficult for us? 
Our first parent, Adam, rejected his God-given responsibility and chose his own way. And then after his failure, he made excuses and tried to shift the blame to his wife and even to God. You and I were born with that very same sin nature. In our natural selves, we don't want to accept the responsibility as men that God has given us. And when we fail, we come up with all manner of excuses as to why it wasn't our fault. But then Jesus came as the second Adam, 1 Corinthians 15, and modeled what real responsibility looks like. Where Adam failed in upholding his responsibility to obey God's will, Jesus obeyed the will of the Father. Even when it was painful and difficult, Luke twenty-two forty-two, Where Adam rejected his responsibility to love and care for his wife, even blaming her when things went wrong, Jesus took responsibility for his bride, the church, and even sacrificed his life for her, Ephesians 5, 25. Where Adam failed to do his job in submitting to God's authority and bringing the earth under that same authority, Jesus accomplished the work the Father had sent him to do. John 17, 4, 19, 30. When we're born again and given God's Spirit, His will for us is that we would be conformed into the image of His Son, Jesus. That means we're to be men who accept responsibility because we follow Christ, the one who modeled it perfectly for us. To accept responsibility as Jesus did means that we reject blame-shifting, victimhood, passivity, and seeing ourselves as the consummate injured party. We are to take responsibility for ourselves, our obedience or lack of obedience to God's word, and our God-given responsibility as men to be who God has called us to be. Victims no more. In a sense, we are all victims of the curse of sin. You and I didn't ask to be born into sin, and have the defilement and stain of wickedness on the very essence of our being. You and I didn't ask to be born with a drawl or propensity towards certain types of sin. Whether you struggle with anger, greed, laziness, or even same-sex attraction, you probably didn't ask for that indwelling sin. You were born with it. In a similar way, we are all victims in some way of the sin of others. You and I didn't ask for the pain that sin causes from things like sexual abuse, negligence from an absent or abusive parent, or betrayal from an unfaithful spouse or dishonest close friend. Those were things done to us. However, the good news of the gospel is that in Christ we are freed from the curse of sin. One of the applications of this amazing truth is that the indwelling sin that once enslaved us defines us no longer. We are also released from the control of the sins that were done to us by others. Growing in freedom and walking in victory over sin takes time, and there are seasons when we still will certainly struggle, but we are no longer controlled by that sin. Listen to what the Bible says. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us, Galatians 3.13. Before we were in Christ, we were slaves to sin, Romans 6.19. Sin, whether indwelling sin that we acted upon or the sin that was done to us, controlled our thoughts, motives, and actions, and we were completely powerless to it in our lives. But when Jesus showed up in our lives, we were forgiven, born again, and given access to a new kind of freedom over sin because of the Holy Spirit. 
So here's what this means practically. If you're in Christ, you don't have the luxury of playing the victim anymore. You just don't. So stop. Yes, it may take years to heal from the pain of abuse and betrayal you suffered because of the sins of others. It may take decades to gain freedom over that indwelling sin you've always felt a draw and propensity towards. But you're not a victim of those things anymore. Those things don't define you, and they don't control you. You've been given freedom and victory over those things because of Jesus. That's really good news. But let's be gut-level honest. A lot of the brokenness, pain, and suffering that occurs in our lives isn't because of what's been done to us. It's because of what we've done, or haven't done, or refused to do, or created excuses for why we can't. We've all blown it. And we've all, at different times and in different ways, refused to accept responsibility. Accepting responsibility. Accepting responsibility has two components. The first aspect of accepting responsibility simply means we take ownership of our behavior and the consequences for that behavior. We're willing to own up to the fact that we're sinners, and we're willing to specifically confess, repent of, and seek accountability for our sin, shortcomings, and character deficiencies. Taking responsibility for our sin is actually the first step in becoming a Christian. Jesus tells us in Matthew 5.3, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. To be poor in spirit is to have a recognition of one's spiritual bankruptcy, the fact that we are unable to become righteous on our own. Jesus says that blessing or happiness belongs to the ones who recognize their own poverty of spirit because it's only then that they can receive God's righteousness as a gift, therefore entering into the kingdom of heaven. But even after we've entered into the kingdom as disciples, we are to stay committed to constantly evaluating ourselves and dealing with the sin that creeps into our lives. The truth is, some of our problems as men aren't quite as complicated as we may make them out to be. Many men are stuck in cycles of sin, poor choices, destructive character habits, relational immaturity, and selfishness simply because they haven't learned what it means to take ownership and accept personal responsibility for their behavior. And until we're willing to start with what we need to repent of and change in ourselves, nothing else in our life will change. The second aspect of taking responsibility means moving beyond just ourselves. We take responsibility when we choose to willingly commit ourselves to serving, helping, and caring for other people that God has put in our lives. Often this is done at great personal cost to ourselves. I think of firefighters, first responders, and police officers as prime examples of this concept at work. Nobody forces those guys to put on a uniform, yet they do so willingly. They're willing to run into burning buildings, to show up at the scene of a horrific accident, or respond to a call about an active shooter. They're willing to do things that others aren't willing or able to do in order to see someone else saved, cared for, or served. That's taking responsibility. Men take responsibility for themselves, and they commit themselves to taking responsibility for others God has put in their lives by selflessly serving, helping, and caring for them like Christ has done for us. 
You may be thinking right about now, okay, that sounds great, but I can't take responsibility for myself, my wife, my kids, and everybody else in the world too. How am I supposed to wear the weight of all of that on my shoulders? Well, don't misunderstand what I'm saying. Take a deep breath. God's not calling you to be Jesus the Messiah. Jesus is the one who saves, restores, rescues, and redeems. He's simply calling you to accept the unique role he's given you as a man. You're the only one who can be a dad to your kids. You're it. God's given that job to you. So how's that going? Are you taking responsibility for caring for them? Praying with them? Praying for them? If you're married, you're the only one who has the unique role of being a husband to your wife. God's given you the job of loving, caring, leading, and serving one of his daughters. That's a huge job. Are you owning your responsibility and dying to yourself and loving her sacrificially, just like Jesus loved the church? Ephesians 5.25. You're a part of the body of Christ, the church. And as a member of the body, you have a unique, important, and vital role to play in the ministry of your local church. God has given you his Holy Spirit and placed you in your church to minister, serve, and build up the body. Are you owning your responsibility to your church? Are you serving? God has uniquely placed each one of us as men in our particular spheres of influence, just as he placed Adam in the garden. Accepting our responsibility means we commit to simply obeying his commands and caring for the things he's given us to care for. But what are those things? And how are we to commit to them? The responsibility of work. Men are called to work. Even in the paradise of Eden, before sin and death entered the world, God still gave the man work to do. His job was to work and keep the garden, which included naming the animals, Genesis 2, 19 and 20. And together with his wife to be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. The man was given the call to cultivate, build, pioneer, explore, and subdue the earth. What an amazing privilege and huge responsibility. It's very clear, even from the first few pages of Scripture, that work is a gift from God. Work is an integral part of a man's purpose. Having a biblical theology of work matters for us as men, because a bored, purposeless man who refuses to accept their responsibility from God to work is usually a very sad, empty man. I think this is why so many men who are bored with their working lives end up finding other things to explore, cultivate, and subdue. They might look to find fulfillment in perfecting their golf stroke, or immersing themselves in video games, or even in sinister or sinful pursuits like pursuing an online affair or pornography addiction. The point is, we are hardwired as men to work. There are certainly times when men aren't able to work because of certain circumstances beyond their control like an illness or disability or economic crisis that causes massive unemployment or whatever. But a man who is able to work and chooses not to is in sin. He's acting contrary to God's design for his life and not accepting the responsibility God has given him. Scripture has strong words for a man like that. 
Second Thessalonians 3.10 says, If anyone isn't willing to work, he should not eat. Not only are men called to work, we're called to work with diligence, excellence, and intentionality. Understanding that the work we do isn't for human bosses, but for the Lord. Colossians 3.23-24 God is watching our work habits. He sees when we cut corners. He sees when we slack off during working hours. And he sees when we fudge numbers to get out of doing tasks we don't like. Men are called by God to work for his glory and for the betterment of the communities he's placed us in. So are you owning your responsibility to work? The responsibility of serving. Adam, the first man, was placed in the garden for the purpose of serving God and the rest of humanity by caring for cultivating and bringing the earth under the authority of God. Adam didn't exist independently of God, but needed him continually for strength and sustenance as he worked diligently to faithfully serve God. Adam also didn't exist independently of others. God gave him a wife so they could work together, mutually serving and submitting to one another as they served God in tandem through cultivating the garden. The man was created to serve, and serving was necessary for humanity to flourish. But when sin entered into the picture, everything got messed up. Sin has a vile way of turning everything concave. When we're in sin, we stop thinking about serving anyone else other than ourselves. Suddenly, humanity wasn't interested in serving God. We're now intensely interested in using God to have Him serve us. Humanity is no longer naturally interested in serving others. In our self-centered, entitled, wicked hearts, we first look for ways others can serve us. But when the second Adam, Jesus, came to earth in his perfection and sinlessness, he modeled for us a radically different mindset. Jesus showed what it truly looked like to live as we were intended to live. He washed his disciples' feet. He allowed himself to be frequently interrupted by and gave his time to social outcasts. He fed the poor even as they grew entitled and only wanted their physical needs met, but not their spiritual needs. Jesus declared that the very reason he'd come to earth was not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many, Matthew 20, 28. When we truly commit ourselves to Jesus, even if we don't know it, we've been called to do exactly what he did. We're called to serve and lay down our lives. We serve others like Jesus by never seeing ourselves as above menial tasks. If Jesus washed the disciples' feet, then men can do the dishes. If Jesus touched the lepers, then men can change the baby's dirty diaper. If Jesus allowed himself to be interrupted by and gave his time to social outcasts, then we as men can give of ourselves by listening to and serving others that the world may not notice. We can also serve our wives and children by giving them our time and full, complete, and undivided attention. We serve God like Jesus by making our lives about the pursuit of his will, not our own. Sin has turned us inward and made us selfish, but God has given us the spirit, the example of Jesus and his holy written word to show us what it means to make our lives about serving our creator. Are you accepting your responsibility to serve the people God has placed in your life? Or are you simply looking for ways they can serve you? Are you committing yourself to serving God in his will? Or do you simply look for ways to try to make God serve you and your causes? The Responsibility of Loving a Wife 
Obviously, not every man listening to this is married, and some of you listening might even be called by God to be single. See 1 Corinthians 7. But if you are married, God's given you a massive responsibility. You have the job of loving, caring, leading, and serving one of his daughters. In the book of Ephesians, the Apostle Paul writes to a church full of fairly young Christians about how Christian families should look drastically different from the world. He tells the husbands in the church to love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, Ephesians 5.25. Husbands are to love our wives as Jesus has loved us as the church. What does that mean? It means that as followers of Jesus, we are not called to primarily take from our wives, but rather to look for ways to lay down our lives to serve her. But what about my wife submitting to me, some might ask? Well, in verse 21 of Ephesians 5, Paul calls everyone in the church to submit to each other. That means we all have submitting to do. It's required by all of us. The Christian life is one of submission because there is submission in the Trinity. God's order for a marriage is for the wife to serve the husband by submitting to his leadership and for a husband to serve his wife by loving her and leading the family. The instruction given to husbands after the topic of submission is not a command to rule and reign. It's a command to love. This suggests that the kind of mutual submission Scripture is commanding can exist without sacrificial, sanctifying love from the husband. This kind of love Christ shows us is the kind husbands are called to show our wives and families. Christ's love towards us is selfless. Christ gave himself up for her. So we as men are called to give ourselves up for our wives, our pursuits, friends, hobbies, interests, desires, the things we want. All of those come after our spouse and after our families. Even entertaining that thought for some of us is painful. That self-centered inner adolescent cries out, what if I don't feel like it? Listen, Christ died for us even when he didn't feel like it. See Luke twenty-two forty-two. Little boys take. Men of God give. Christ's love towards us is actively pursuing. Christ pursues his church, so we are to pursue our wives. That means we are the first ones who apologize after a fight. We're to be the ones that turn off the TV and initiate the conversations about how our spouse's soul is doing. We're to be the ones that plan date nights to spend quality time together with our wives. And we love our wives like Jesus loves us. And when we do, our love has a cleansing and purifying effect. Ephesians 5.26 tells us that Christ's love toward the church is to make her holy, cleansing her with the washing of water by the word. And in the same way, selfless love and care have sanctifying influences on our wives. As we accept our responsibility of loving them selflessly and sacrificially, we'll experience personal benefit and progress as a result, just like our bodies would when we take care of them. If there are struggles and problems in your marriage that exist right now, it probably means that on some level, both you and your wife aren't loving, honoring, and serving each other like God has called you to. But you can't change her. You can only be responsible for your actions and behavior towards her. So, are you owning your responsibility and dying to yourself 
and loving her sacrificially, just like Jesus loved the church. Are you loving God's daughter well? The Responsibility of Leadership In the garden, Genesis 2 and 3 tell us that God brought the woman into a world where the man already had a walk with God. Because of this, the man had a responsibility to explain and teach the commandments of God to his wife. Not only does the man have the responsibility to teach his wife God's word, she's brought into a home where he's providing and working to serve God. The man leads by taking initiative in romance. His first words towards his wife are a beautiful love poem. The man takes responsibility in loving and protecting his family as he declares to his wife that she is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. Genesis 2, 23. Men are called to lead their family spiritually. We are given the amazing privilege and responsibility of explaining, teaching, and modeling the Word of God to our wives and children. Sadly, many of the men I've encountered in the church today have completely abdicated their responsibility, and their wives have had to step into this role. But as men, we should be the ones who lead our families in prayer, Bible reading, and making church attendance a priority. That's our job, not our wives. Men are called to lead their families by providing for their needs. 1 Timothy 5.8 tells us that anyone who does not provide for his own family, especially for his own household, has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Those are strong words. Of course, this doesn't mean that every Christian man must earn more than his wife if she works too. It just means that we as men are to be working hard and being responsible in order to make sure our families are taken care of. That's our job as men. Men are called to lead our families by placing a priority on our marriage. Several years ago, I had a counselor I deeply respect tell me that one of the most loving things I could ever do for my children was to love their mother well. Not only would that make my wife a better mom for our children, but it would also model for my sons and daughter the way a godly man is supposed to treat a woman. Men are called to lead our families by loving and protecting them. That often means that the way we show our love is through our protection. And the way we practice protection over our children is by taking an active role in disciplining them and setting and enforcing boundaries for their own spiritual and physical well-being. Protecting our children looks like us taking an active role in parenting them and helping them learn obedience and respect, even at an early age. That's not just our wife's job. We have a responsibility to play in parenting as well. As our children grow older, that means monitoring what media they consume, what friends they're spending time around, and their online and social media usage. So many men have chosen to be a buddy to their kids instead of a father. For fear of their children not liking them, they've shown leniency and negligence. But leading through protecting our families is our job as men. The Responsibility of Honor Honor seems to be a lost value in our culture. In general, it seems we've lost a sense of respect, esteem, or reverence for people in general. More and more in our society, we dehumanize those with whom we disagree and copiously assign insulting labels and categories to those we deem as less than but we've particularly lost our sense of honor for those in positions of authority and responsibility. Whether they be teachers, law enforcement, politicians, employers, or leaders within the church, 
We just seem more obsessed with calling people out and calling people names than we do at showing them any ounce of respect. Even if our culture has lost this value, all through the pages of Scripture, God calls his men to practice and show honor. We're first called to honor God, Deuteronomy 32, 51, and then we're instructed to show honor in all sorts of ways to all manner of people. Our parents, government leaders, employers, neighbors, leaders within the church, and even our enemies. Being a man of honor means we practice respect, empathy, and thoughtfulness to those around us, even the ones with whom we may disagree. We don't stoop so low as to practice name-calling and mudslinging. We act and behave in every situation in an honorable, respectful, and dignified manner. We show a healthy sense of reverence for the authority that God has placed over us. We accept the responsibility of showing honor, even if we're treated with dishonor. We let God fight our battles. We choose to be like David, who practiced honor to a mad king, Saul, all the while threatened to kill him and had him on the run. David chose the path of honor, even as Saul dishonored him. In the end, God vindicated David. Saul fell on his own sword, while God honored David and promoted him as the king. The day when our excuses won't matter. If we're just being honest, some of us are exactly like the guy described at the beginning of the chapter. We genuinely see ourselves as the victim. We're not the ones to blame for any of our behavior. Anything we do or don't do that we should be doing is excusable and explainable because of factors beyond our control. We don't want to be held responsible for anything. So we play the part of the passive martyr in our failing marriages, our anemic spiritual lives, our struggling careers, and our disintegrating family units. It's not really our fault. Everybody else is to blame. But the scriptures speak of a day that's coming when every one of us as believers will stand before Jesus and give an account for our lives and the work we've done in serving him. 2 Corinthians 5.10 The quality of the work of our lives will be tested. Our true motives will be evaluated. We'll be evaluated not just by what we did, but why we did what we did. Nothing hidden will remain unseen. On that day... Jesus will see it all. That's a sobering thought. It will be a day of great reward. Faithful deeds done with pure motives to serve Christ that no one else saw will be rewarded. Many will rejoice and be humbled at the good gifts given by our Savior King. But it will also be a day of loss for some. Some will stand before Jesus and come to the heartbreaking realization that they wasted so much of their lives. They built so much of their lives with all the wrong things, worldliness, vain glory, the praise of others, and the temporary pleasures of this earth. They could have and should have done and been so much more for the sake of their king, but they chose not to. For them, Their life's work will be burned up by a fire, and they'll suffer loss. On that day, no man will be able to stand before Jesus and give excuses. No man will be able to blame his pastor for his lack of spiritual growth. 
No man will be able to blame his wife for his failure to love her well. No man will be able to blame his upbringing or factors beyond his control for his lack of obedience to Jesus, the King. Don't let that be you. Accept your God-given responsibility. guest on the podcast today is Jeremy Smith. Jeremy is a pastor of the Shelbyville campus for the Experience Community Church. Jeremy, how you doing today, man? Uh, doing well. Doing well. Day started off a little rough, but it's getting better. So. Do you have a root canal? What did you have done? No, I actually, um, so uh, we have a wonderful couple that comes to the church here in Shelbyville that owns their own dental practice. So I went in just for a quick drill and fill this morning. Mm. Um, and he talked me into getting a new crown put in. <laughs> um, so quickly I'm starting to recount everything that I've talked about the last couple of weeks. And I'm like, is this yeah. guy just looking for an opportunity to jab me with a needle and like <laughs> pull out a drill? Now nah, they're a phenomenal couple. So, um, yeah, well, you, you can't say there. no if he's wanting to, you know, do dental work on you. I mean, you're, you're yeah. his pastor. You have to just go along with whatever he says. Yeah. See, I didn't, I, I guess we'll go with that. I, yeah. But <laughs> I was more than willing to, to go with it and they were able to, to work me in. And, um, so up until about, um, about 30 minutes ago, my mouth was still numb. So but <laughs> we're good to well, go though. Ladies and gentlemen, you can't see right now, but he is drool dripping off his chin. <laughs> All down his uh, the front of his beard, but that is uh, true. he's going to make it. He's going to make it. So, uh, Jeremy, tell tell uh, everybody about yourself. All right. Well, uh, my name is Jeremy Smith, and um, I currently reside in beautiful Shelbyville, Tennessee. Um, my wife and I bought a house out here a little over a year ago uh, when we moved out here to plant a campus for the Experience Community Network of Churches. Um, so, yeah, I've got four kids um, that are just, you know, for the first time, some of them are entering into the public school system and are um, realizing all the wonderful joys that come along with that. But um, mm. and it's it's been good. It's been real good, man. The community out here is, is, is really good. We just we love it a lot. Awesome, man. Awesome. Awesome. Well, you've been doing this pastor thing for a couple of years now, and I'm sure both in your role as a pastor and then um as a leader in church for a while, you've been leaders, you've been a leader in various roles within churches for, for a while now. Mm -hmm. I'm sure you've encountered, uh, men. Yeah. And I've been that, a man my whole life. So. And you've been a man your whole life. That's so, good. Yeah. You know, you haven't changed anything like that. Um, <laughs> but yeah, you've probably encountered men. I would imagine that struggle with this concept of taking responsibility and accepting blame for their mistakes and shortcomings. It seems like for whatever reason, we as men tend to have an aversion towards mm -hmm. that. I don't know if it's gotten worse in our generation than it ever has. Um, in some ways, it certainly seems that way. But yeah. talk to me a little bit about that. Why do you think that so many men struggle with this idea of taking responsibility and maybe just accepting their their blame for mistakes and shortcomings in their lives? Well, I think just starting off with the, the struggle of taking responsibility, that that stems just from a lack of accountability. Um, mm. 
you know, when we're not accountable to anyone or, or anything, uh, whether that be another individual or even to, uh, to God, uh, when we don't attach ourselves and have that accountability, then there's really no need to take responsibility. So we have kind of shied away, I feel like, from these roles of attaching accountability uh, to ourselves. We don't typically in our culture seek that out. Um, hmm. And because, I mean, I think a lot of that comes with that second part of that, of that accepting blame. I think that, uh, I mean, if we're honest, I mean, it hurts to admit, you know, when you're wrong or when you're at fault or that maybe you've fallen short. So, um, man, accepting the, accepting blame just flies right in the face of, of ego, pride, whatever it may be. Um, but I think there's this, this falsity that's been taught this view that the leader's not supposed to make mistakes. Mm. Um, so if I make a mistake, therefore I'm not equipped or, or able to, to, to lead in any capacity. And, and that's a lie in believing that mistakes disqualify you as a leader. Like you are able to make mistakes and it's okay if you make mistakes, you know, as a leader, we have to make decisions. We can't, you yeah. know, sit back and idly just let things happen and not make decisions. We have to be decisive. Yes. But if you make a mistake in that decision, that doesn't mean you should be, you know, deplatformed and you're disqualified from, Leading, and I think that's a, a, a common misconception that's thought that you know, as a leader, I'm unable to make a mistake, and if I make one, I darn sure better not let anyone know sure. that I made that mistake. So I think we try to hide it and sweep it under the rug if it happens, and, yeah. and that you know, so no responsibility there as well. And we, so, I think we, as men, I think we also kind of view our uh, shortcomings as weaknesses. If we admit those yeah. shortcomings, then it's a sign of weakness. Again, just lies that I think our our culture has kind of spoon fed us. Yeah, absolutely. So you think within like a man's family, how he's called to be a spiritual leader, he's called to you know lead his wife, serve his wife, protect his wife, all that stuff. Right. Sometimes admitting that he's not done that well is really painful, and mm -hmm. for a lot of guys, they believe the lie that man, if you've not done something perfect or you've not done something to the best of potential, that's an invalidation of you. Like it's one thing to say, Hey, I've made a mistake and I failed at this. It's quite another to say, I am a failure. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And I think we, in our, you know, talking about our marriages is, you know, we lack proper communication, um, with our spouse. So we're under that, assumption that if I admit these things, then she will view me as that, like you just said, a failure, that I am a failure because I've made this mistake. And what we don't realize is that, and that shows a great strength to be able to have that conversation with your wife and to show the desire. And I think that's the key is this desire to, to do better, right? Like right, um, right. to show that dissatisfaction with my failure, with these things and, and just open communication, but we lack that in our marriages where we're not comfortable enough. We don't have that relationship with our spouse, unfortunately, to where we're able to be vulnerable and, and take the mask off for a moment to let them see who we really are, that that's not going to make them love us any less. Um, from my experience, it does the exact opposite. Yeah. Um, it, it, it levels the, the playing field and, and, you know, just opens up that level of communication, uh, which I think yeah, is man. lacking. So what effect do you think when a guy doesn't take responsibility 
like across the board in his job, in his parenting, in his marriage, what kind of effect does that have on his relationships when he refuses to take responsibility? It, it really, it isolates you. Um, hmm. it, it tells everyone around you that you're not willing to accept responsibility, that you don't want accountability. Um, and that that's just kind of, I mean, who and what you are. And then that just throws our identity off and, you know, and all of those things. But to fight against that really combats all of those previous issues that, that we're talking about. It shows that, you know, when we're willing to confess these things, when we're willing to accept responsibility and talk about our shortcomings, man, the, the result of that to those around us is other people will be strengthened, encouraged by that as well. And I, and to a lot of people that doesn't make sense. Like how can me talking about all my problems, encourage you and make you feel better. And it's not that you're sitting there thinking, you know, self-righteously like, Ooh, I thought I was bad off, but I don't have all that going on. So I'm not that bad, but what it does, that person hearing it thinks, man, like I'm going through stuff too. Um, I'm not on an Island all by myself. And then that fosters confession, you know, between men right. to be able to say like, man, those things you're talking about, like, I thought it was just me. I thought I was the only one that struggles with those things, but I'm not like, so, mm. but we don't know that unfortunately until we step out and do it. And then we just have right, right. men that walk around and wear masks and pretend that everything's okay. That I'm this great leader that never makes mistakes. So there's no need for responsibility and accountability and all of these things. And that's just a facade. It's a lie. We need accountability. We need to take responsibility. We need confession, uh, but we run from those things. Yeah. Well, let's talk about the victim mentality for a second. Um, it seems like a lot of guys seem to adopt this mentality that, you know, they're not the ones to blame. It was their upbringing or they're not the ones to blame. It was, you know, it was their, the woman they're married to, right. You know, if, if only she was different then I wouldn't have these same struggles, you know, I've seen guys blame their pornography addiction on the fact that their wife isn't sexually satisfying them or, you know, it seems like we are capable of falling into this in any Mm -hmm. stage of our life with any certain thing. Um, how have you seen that? How does it show up? Why is it so damaging? I mean, it's just, it's, it's blame shifting. It's, you know, everyone else is the problem. Everyone else is the issue. I'm good over here. There's nothing that I need to work on, fix and correct, but my goodness, look at everything else y'all have going on. Um, so it blame shift. It never gets to, to the root of the issue, to the root of the problem. Um, so then you never address it and you never work with it. And, um, and I think with with taking that kind of, you know, uh, the victim identity, we start to identify ourselves um, as a victim. And I think sometimes that's just I mean, there's this deep rooted desire, I think, in all of us to be recognized. Right. Like we want to mm. be known and that gets misplaced when we don't you know, when just being known by God is not enough for us. We all want that badge of honor that we can wear because we want to be recognized. And then I think sometimes when we're not receiving that, man, we'll even settle for a negative badge of armor, this this victim identity. Like, I'll wear that just because I'm able to identify with something because I just want to identify with anything. And, man, we're seeing that bleed all through our culture 
um, yeah. right now. Um, but I think that's 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 rooted in that desire just to be recognized. And man, we'll we'll sell it short. And as long as we're recognized for anything, we don't care. I mean, right, right, right. you see the 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 state of our society and people what they're getting famous for and known for on social media platforms. Like we have mm. truly lowered ourselves to, um, to no end just for the sake of this, this notoriety and identity and this badge of honor that we seek after. Well, and I think the sad part is for a lot of guys, when you wear that victim mentality as a badge of honor, that's just a recipe to stagnation and Absolutely. mediocrity and to stay stuck in certain parts of your life. So if it's not your fault, like none of your shortcomings, none of the things that you're struggling with, none of those are your fault, then you don't have any ability to take ownership and actually make anything better in your life. Absolutely. You're you're, <laughs> you're not only not to blame for your shortcomings and flaws, you also can't be given any credit for you know, taking the steps you need to better your, your life. Right. And, and obviously, you know, it's not us that fixes ourselves. It's the Lord that does that, but we have right. a responsibility to, to step up and we're the only ones that can really do that. We're the only ones that can surrender the Holy spirit and be obedient to the Lord. Nobody can do that for us, you know? And so it's sad to me seeing so many guys that just stay stuck and settle um, because it hurts too much. And it's, it's too humbling to admit, no, I'm the one to blame. I've blown it. I've screwed up. I need help. We, we think that it's the easy way out just to stay there, but we have never, if you're in that state, you think, well, it's, it's easier just to stay here and be the victim than it is to be the survivor essentially. But that's because yeah. you've never tasted freedom from those things. And like, right, you realize right. like you're not on easy street. You're not taking the easy path. Like you're struggling through this and there is a better way for you that you are just out of fear, out of whatever it may be, um, you're holding and clinging on to this that is no good for you. Yeah. Um, but we just don't know any better. Yeah. Well, God's given us responsibilities. And this is something I wrote about in this past chapter that we as men have responsibilities from the Lord, whether it's work, whether it's serving, whether it's loving a wife, being a leader. And choosing honor, even when the whole world is is uh, choosing maybe the path of dishonor. Mm -hmm. um, wh which one do you think we as men struggle with the most out of all of those right now in the generation and the the, the age that we're living in this this hour of human history? It's mm, a good question. So I guess looking at that list and and going through those. For me, I would look at initially, I think I would look at the work as probably being the least of it. Like that's probably the one that most men don't struggle with. But I think we're seeing a culture now where that's kind of being turned on its, you know, turned upside down, where now we see men that are choosing to stay in this boyhood state, playing video games and doing all these things. And not that, that video games make you a boy, but that's all right. they want to do. They're not going to they're not going out and working. They're not doing these things. Um, so I think the, the knee jerk reaction would be like work, you know, we'll, we'll go out and we'll put on gloves and we'll do hard work and stuff like that. But I think we're seeing that dissipate a lot more, um, in our culture and any of these, if you look at, even if we display them properly, or even if we're doing them, I should say. So if we're serving, loving our wife, leading and honoring people, people, um, I think 
even if we're displaying those, I think the issue is that we're misguided in how to do those things correctly. Mm. So a lot of times, yes, I may be serving. And I think what we see a lot is um, for a man serving, it's like, well, I'm supposed to be on security because I'm a man. That's what I do now. Wiping, you know, butts in the nursery. Now that's for the women <laughs> um, and stuff like that. So it's kind of we've allowed culture to dictate like a man's service right, and, right, right, and right. like what is a woman's service and all those. And, and um, you know, so those lines have kind of been messed. But a lot of times for for men you know, we'll, we'll serve in capacities that are self-serving or satisfying to us. Right. Um, you know, we're not willing to step outside of those things. Hey, there's a need in children's ministry. Always every church, every, anywhere you go, it doesn't matter. There's always a need in children's ministry. There is a huge need for men in children's ministry, but we feel mm -hmm. like that is a woman's role. That's not for us. So we don't sign up and do that. Um, and I think loving a wife, that's, that's one again that's that's misguided. Like I think most most men they claim to love their wife. I don't think they are, you know, I think they're just ignorant. And I don't mean that in a derogatory way. They just don't know how to love their wife sure. properly. Yeah, sure, sure. Um, well, I, I provide, you know, I work, I do these things, I put food on the table. So I love my wife. Well, your wife needs more than that. Um right. You know, so I think that kind of falls short. So I guess if I had to pick one, it in our culture, I think, man, like loving our wife would probably be one of yeah. those. I mean, because leading, again, we talked about some of those issues with with in leadership, um, and that we can allow to creep in and we don't lead properly um, in honoring. But I, if I had to pinpoint and pick one, uh, which is what you asked me to do, um, <laughs> I'd probably <laughs> have to say. Uh, loving a wife, because again, yeah. all of these are, are misguided. We don't know what God says about how I'm to love sure. my wife. Um, well, and I we think, think for a lot of guys, you're right. I think it's it's very self-serving, and it's very much like, yes. Well, hey, I bought her something nice for her birthday. I take her on a date every now and again. Of course, I love her. And then we see the relationship maybe not being everything that it could be. And instead of us looking in the mirror and taking responsibility and going, man, mm. what is it I'm not? doing that I probably need to do. Mm -hmm. It's a lot easier for us to shirk that responsibility and blame our wives and say, well, she's just, she's just spoiled. She's just a princess. Right. right? And, and it could be the case, but most often what I've seen is it's, it's usually not, it's usually just, we don't know how because of probably insecurity and because it hurts too much yeah. to look in the mirror and go, man, I've been dropping the ball. Yeah. And if my marriage is going to get better, I've got to work on me. I've got to figure out how I can love my wife. I can't change her. I can change me. Mm -hmm. um, and I can take responsibility for how I treat her and how I treasure her and how I learn how to care for her emotional needs. And yeah, I'd agree with you. I think sometimes we, we don't know how to do that well. And, and, and you know, it's funny is our wives aren't expecting us to be perfect. Absolutely. But what they do want is for us to own it when we've blown it. Yeah, and we, we view it as, as something degrading to us and to our manhood to walk up to our wife and say, hey, how can I serve you? Like, what can I do for you? Um, <laughs> so funny story uh, real quick. So I tried that recently. You know, we've been going through some really good books of the Bible here at the church. They kind of fly right in the face of how we're supposed to love and to treat our wife. So the first time I walked in and, and asked my wife literally, hey, how can I serve you today? 
I mean, she thought I was off my rocker. She thought I was being <laughs> condescending. And, I mean, that kind of revealed that, hey, you know, maybe, hey, I've fallen short because when I saw it, when I say that and you don't believe that I'm being genuine, that right. reveals that I haven't done the best of job. And, hey, that's OK. I'm going to own it. Um, yeah. So that happened for a little bit. And what what I've realized is that the consistency would show her that I was for real about it, hmm. um, that it wasn't just a one time thing because. I had ulterior motives, right? You know, right. what I'm, I was, if I wash a couple dishes, well then, you know, you know, <laughs> it, it wasn't my mentality. It was um, seriously to serve her, to do something for her, to, to have that relationship and know how my wife receives love and then meeting those needs. Yeah. Um, but it's, it, we view that as kind of demeaning to lower myself, to serve my yeah, wife. But, but honestly, that's just, that's like Jesus, Jesus like humility. You know, Absolutely. and that's Philippians uh, two. You know, he didn't see equality with the father's mm-hmm. something to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking on the right. form of a servant. And you know, I think when I think about the kind of man I don't want to be, sometimes that helps me implement habits in my life now to um, help me be the man I do want to be. Right. So like when I look at like, and I'm not trying to be mean to a different generation, but when I look at guys that are in like my dad's generation or even older than that. Mm-hmm. And what I see them doing is blaming my generation for the woes of society. Right. <laughs> and meanwhile, completely blind to the ways in which maybe they're contributing. Yes. Actively contributing. Right. So like sometimes I'll see guys from a different generation rant and rave about how these young kids are constantly just addicted to their cell phones. And I'm like, well, wait a second. You post on Facebook about politics 30 times a day. What are you talking about? The young generation <laughs> addicted. Like, aren't you part of the problem too? Right. Yes. And, and so sometimes what helps me try to implement habits to make me into the man that I feel like God wants me to be now is to look and go, man, I don't want to be that. I don't yeah. need some old curmudgeon sitting there going, <laughs> all these young whippersnappers there who wants to blame for the problems of the world. No, like it's got to start with me, right? I mean, it's got to start with what am I doing? There's something in the world that I don't like. What can I do to make it better? And how can I accept that responsibility instead of just blaming yes. the entire world for the woes yep. that are out there? Because anyone can point out the problem. It's exactly. being a part of the solution. And and by the way, you did the curmudgeon voice way too well. So <laughs> if if you ever do get there, like hey, I've got you, a good curmudgeon you got voice. It. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So hey, how can a guy that's maybe stuck there and us talking about admitting faults, humbling ourselves before our wives or for our children or for our coworkers? And, and he's hearing that and he's bristling right now. And he's going, oh, Lord, that that's scary. Mm. How can a guy just step up and, and just start taking responsibility and stop playing the victim? And, and not to oversimplify it, because a lot of time there may be there may be an easy answer, but application is super difficult. So uh, to steal the, the trademark from Nike, I mean, just do it. That was cheesy. Yeah probably shouldn't have done that. (laughs) But I mean, in all seriousness though, like that's how it starts. Like man, one, take the mask off, find at least one guy that you trust enough to be genuine and authentic with and just 
share it. Just be bare before someone and let them know what's going on and how you feel. And then, I mean, it's just like exercising. That's going to get easier and easier as time goes. You have to build up to it the first time, man, it's going to hurt. Like it's going to, it's not going to be comfortable, but man, it was the design. We were designed and created to be in community. So we need that. Um, Mm -hmm. So as cliche as it sounds like, man, you just have to take the mask off. Um, and, and just, we have to stop believing the lies that are told to us. Um, it's not going to make you less than, um, you're not the only one. (laughs) I mean, I think that's the biggest lie that I think we believe, man. I'm the only one going through this. No one understands. No one will get it. Uh, what's the point in sharing? And then as soon as you just let it out one time, you're like, wow, there's a lot more people that, or struggling with this or whatever it may be um, that I was unaware of. Absolutely, man. Well, and I think too, I love what you said earlier about how you came to your wife and said, Hey, how can I serve you? Like it's pretty disarming and it actually gains us a lot of respect from the people around us when they see us being humble and vulnerable about how we could do better. Yeah. And how we can take responsibility. And, and that just kind of puts a, a stake in the heart of that victim mentality. When we just go, man, I it, it, things in my life right now, things in my spiritual life, things in my marriage, things in my parenting, things in my career, I, I've been the one that's been lacking. And mm-hmm. I need to step up and do better. Yeah. And instead of people going, well, you're right. You do kind of suck at that. Most of the time mm-hmm. where people will go is, wow. I appreciate that. I respect somebody like that. Yeah. You know? um, and and that's what it, so for the, for the guy that's in that place right now, that this is kind of rubbing them and they're like, you know, I can't, I can't, I can't. So for the other guy that is in that place that is able to confess these things, man, model that for these guys. Yeah. Take a guy and it's discipleship. Take a guy under your wing <coughs> and be wise about that based on your position or whatever it may be. But, take a guy under your wing and start doing those very things. Start confessing to him and showing him those things and let him do life with you. Take him, you know, not just sitting down and doing a Bible study, which that's great. Do that, but take him out as you go out and do things to see how he inter, how you interact with people and then share your flaws, your faults and communicate all those things to him and model it for him so that he knows how he's supposed to do the same thing. Absolutely. Yeah, man, that's awesome. Well, Jeremy, I appreciate it, man. Thanks for uh, hanging out with me today. and I appreciate you having me on. Thanks for not playing the victim and for uh, accepting responsibility. Yeah, that, that not, comes not. after we get off the air. So. <laughs> <laughs> you All won't right, believe what Brooker made me do. So. <laughs> but now, thanks for having me. I really, really appreciate it. Absolutely, man. All right. Thank you, sir. Yep. listening to the Committed Masculinity Podcast. If you like what you've heard and you want more, head over to Amazon and pick up your copy of the book, Committed, Biblical Masculinity. Please give this podcast a share, leave us a review, and tune in next time. Thanks again for listening.